And it's interesting, um, so you just talked about the idea of all these different avenues that, that we can minister through and, um, you know, that Christians aren't boring. <laughs> we really aren't. Uh, but this idea, just an interesting intro to this, because the idea of the unveiled face is the church taking its mask off. And, you know, I, I created this message, started a week ago, and it didn't dawn on me till this morning that in the physical realm, we actually just did take our masks off. <laughs> I'm like, huh, you know, isn't, isn't God interesting the way that he works? But it's unveiled face, unveiled face. We, we had a veiled face for a while, you know, we had to wear these masks and stuff, but God through this message is going to start teaching us it's time to take off the mask. And we're not talking about physical mass here. We're talking about this idea of a mask that we may put on that may be rooted in fear, may be rooted in rejection, may be rooted in anxiety, may be rooted in depression, may be rooted in this and that and this other thing that stops us from taking our mask off and being who we are, an authentic Christian. The world needs to see authenticity. One thing that the world can't deny is something that's real. It's interesting because people, even in secular society, can tell something that's fake, especially kids. Kids, kids can always tell somebody that's faking it. You know, they have that discernment for some reason. But this idea of the unveiled face, the Bible literally says that the, that the creation, listen to this, the creation is literally waiting for the unveiling or the revealing of the sons of God. And this has to do with the mask coming off. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Unveiled face. The creation, it literally says, is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed or unveiled. In 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 18, this is where this, this idea, this title is rooted in. And it says, do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? He says, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us. Somebody is reading you. (laughs) This is why it's important to have the mask off. Somebody is looking into my life and your life, and they're reading a story. And if the story doesn't line up literally with our actions, with what we're saying, they say, that's not right. That's not right. That's, that's what we call, call being a hypocrite is saying one thing and doing another. What we need to do is what we say is what we do. It's interesting because Paul was in front of King Agrippa and he was in front of Governor Festus and Agrippa's daughter Bernice. And he was telling them about Jesus and he's saying, you know, Jesus was resurrected and all this stuff. And the king says, this was not done in a corner. What God is going to do and the way God is going to move in these future days and these future months and these years is not going to be done in a corner. He's not going to put baby in a corner. Anybody seen that movie? He's not going to put the church in a corner. The church is coming out in all the glory of who he is. The Bible talks about this idea of the full stature or the full measure of Christ coming in these later days and these next days and these days to come. Walking on authenticity, walking without the masks on, walking and being real and speaking the truth in love. He says, you're an epistle. Somebody's reading me. Written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. Do you remember when Moses comes down off of Sinai? The first time God gives him the Ten Commandments, literally it says that they wrote the Ten Commandments with the finger of God. So God takes his finger on the stone and goes, thou shalt 
not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor. Written by the finger of God. So Moses comes down the mountain with the, with the tablets, comes down with the physical tablets, and what are they doing? There's rebellion happening. They're dancing. They're worshiping a golden calf that they created. They literally tried to create their own God and were worshiping this own golden God, and they were partying and having a good time. And Moses came off the mountain, and he took the tablets and said, God's not having it. So he had to go back up. Comes back down with the Ten Commandments again. This time, God's like, I'm showing off Moses to you. His face was shining with the glory of God. I'm not, talk- <laughs> I'm not talking about people going, hey, Moses' countenance has changed. No, Moses' face was on fire and it was glowing. And the people said, we don't want to look at it. So Moses literally had to put a veil over his face. Because the people didn't want to, didn't want to see it and didn't want to, didn't want to hear it. But it's not on tablets of stone, but now it's on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. So what Jesus did by fulfilling every single thing of the law that we could not do, he successfully completed everything with the Spirit of God on the inside of him. And now the Spirit of God has moved into this house. This temple, and now he has given me the power, the Spirit of God has given me the power to say no to sin and to to say yes to God. In fact, it says every situation that we get into that we are tempted, he said, I will provide a way of escape for you. I will provide an outlet to where you can move through it and be successful in moving in this this kingdom of God. But it's not on tablets of stone anymore. It's on tablets of flesh that is of the heart or in the heart. It's been transformed from a physical temple that was made by hands to a table that has not been made by hands. Now he is living on the inside of us. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. I love it when the, when the disciples start, start talking this way. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. If there's anybody that should have walked in this kind of like this holy strut, It was the disciples, and the disciples are the ones that are saying, we are useless without him. Sometimes I wonder, is there too much me? Sometimes I wonder, is there too much me? Is there not enough me going, I can't do it, God. I'm going to lean on you because I know you're the one that can. Sometimes I think there's too much of me in the mix. It needs to be him. It needs to be me coming to a place in every area of my life where I'm saying, I am not sufficient, but you are. I receive your sufficiency. I can't do it alone. At some point, you come to the conclusion in your life where God changes you that I need a Savior. I can't save myself. I need a Savior. I need a Savior every day. It's interesting because... This idea of today is the day of salvation. I had a kind of a revolution in my mind with this idea that today is the day of salvation. You know, I I typically think of that as, hey, if you're not saved, today for you is the day of salvation. Guess what? Today is my day of salvation too. And tomorrow, and the next day, and the next week, and the next month, and the next year, and the next 10 years, and the next 20 years, and 25. And however long I'm in this on this earth, today has to be my day of salvation. 
The day of salvation, wrapped up in salvation, is peace. Come on. It's strength, it's mercy, it's grace. The empowering presence of God for me to get through this day and put my head down on my pillow tonight and say, ah, God's in me. Victory is mine. And now you wake up in the morning. Today is the day of salvation. Moving further and further and further and further into this revelation of how much he loves me. We are children of God. And we don't exactly know what we shall be. But we know when we see him as he is, we're going to be like him. The Bible literally says that this body is going to be transformed and conformed unto his glorious body. My goodness, can we take a second and think about that? Can we take a second and think about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? When he opens up his body and zips himself out of his flesh and steps out. And the disciples are laying on the ground. And they see the glory of the Son of God. And he's the one that's saying, I have I've trailed the way. I've cut down the brush. I have taken the machete and I've made a way to get through. And now you're coming up behind me and everything I have is yours. Oh, you know, glory comes in waves. <laughs> you know, glory comes in waves. What does the Bible say? It says, the glory of the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the sea covers the sand of that ocean bottom. It comes in waves. Glory comes in waves. Glory comes in waves when it's talking about the idea of the old covenant and the tablets of stone and what Moses did and all that stuff that said it had glory, but it says there's going to come a glory that excels, that is higher, that is bigger, that is more magnificent than the glory of the Old Testament. And then rushes the New Testament and then comes this magnificent level of glory, the glory of the once begotten Son of God walking the face of the earth. And then he dies and goes into the grave and he comes up glorified and now he says now I'm seated at the right hand of the father and guess where you're at you're seated with me in heavenly places everything I have is yours you are a joint heir what I earned is now yours because of me not because of your own sufficiency not because of we got to come to the revelation every day that we're screw-ups I mean even listen even after we become Christians I'm sorry but I don't go through a day without falling short. I got to have him. I got to have him. There will never be a day in your life where you're going to be able to do it on your own. You need to hear what I'm telling you. There's never going to be a day in your life where you're going to be able to get through that day in victory all by yourself. You're going to need the sun. You're going to need the spirit of God on the inside of you. And in these coming days, I'm encouraging you to keep pressing in, keep pressing in, keep pressing into this salvation. We're going to need it. We're going to need it. We're going to need to know what we know. We're going to need to be able to speak with an unveiled face what God is telling us to speak. We're going to have to have an unveiled face. It's interesting because when Peter, Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. And what did Peter do? He kept the mask on. Everybody came up to him. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. But the same Peter, with his mask off, <laughs> stands up in front of thousands and thousands of people and starts preaching the gospel to them, and myriads are saved because Peter had his mask off. 
he had his mask off. At some point, we have to come to the conclusion that fear is not going to hold us back. That looking dumb is not going to hold us back. That looking awkward is not going to hold us back. This self-preservation stuff has got to go. The world teaches self-preservation, self-preservation. Be your better self. I am sorry, but me at my best self is still a dumpster fire. Still. I, I worked in a secular university for 15 years in a workshop after workshop after seminar after seminar after PowerPoint after PowerPoint after speaker after speaker. Be your best self. Garbage. Garbage. Complete garbage. And you know what I saw happen? People that were unbelievers get fed this stuff and get fed this stuff and get fed this stuff and get fed it and they get worse and worse and worse. Because the law brings death. Only the Spirit can bring life. <laughs> so, we have such trust through Christ towards God, but our, our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Isn't the Holy Spirit's timing impeccable? But if the Spirit... Ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness succeeds much more in glory. For even that was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. That's a good message title. The glory that excels. It excels. It's a, it's a higher form of glory. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Listen to what's propelling this. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. And we talked about this over and over again, but that tabernacle of Moses, you had the outer court, you had the holy place, and you had the most holy place, and what was blocking the outer court from that most holy place was something called the veil. And when Jesus died on the cross, remember this, when Jesus died on the cross, and that veil was, they estimated that, that veil was about seven inches thick. It ripped in two when he was resurrected, and the veil came off, and now he has given us the victory to walk with unveiled face, so that we're going to speak this truth. And he warned us and he said, if they don't like me, they are not going to like you. <laughs> and it, it's, not even, <laughs> it's not even that much about you. It's about the truth that you're saying. Because the truth comes in as a sword and people don't like to get jabbed. I'm not going to stop it. And neither should you. We should still come out and speak the truth in love. <laughs> We're not looking to condemn you hear me? We're not using this word to condemn. We are using it to bring victory, to speak the truth, to see people free. And they're just going to speak it. It's a glory that excels. Since we have great hope, we use great boldness of speech. But their minds were blinded for until this day, the same veil. And this, this is crazy, right? The same veil 
remains unlifted. Again, so if you see somebody in the world and you're saying, well, they just need to change. They just need to do better. They just need to stop this and they need to stop that. You can't do it unless they got the Spirit of God on the inside of them. Otherwise, with the veil is not lifted, guess what? That's all they see is darkness. So we need to, we need to be cognizant of that. We need to be, understand that. They need a key to unlock the prison door, and the key is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It is the key to unlock the door, and we're going to keep spitting it. <laughs> we're going we're to keep putting it out. We put it out. Listen, we're just scattering seed. We're scattering seed everywhere. Whoever picks up the seed and ends up wanting to plant it, great. But we're not going to stop scattering seed. You just you keep scattering, you keep scattering, you keep scattering. You keep scattering over and over and over and over again. You keep blanketing the region. Keep blanketing your workplace. Keep blanketing everywhere you go. Word, 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 word. Speak the word. Somebody somewhere is going to get it, and all of a sudden, there you go. The veil comes off. Do you remember when your veil came off? I remember distinctly when my veil came off. I remember distinctly when this thing went, whoosh, and I saw things, and I was like, wow. It was a new spiritual realm <laughs> all of a sudden in the moment in a twinkling of an eye boom much more glorious but their minds were blinded to this day the same veil is, remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ ah the veil is taken away in Christ but even to this day when Moses is read a veil lies on their heart Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, I, again, it's one of those things where I've read this hundreds of times, but we all. This is a corporate thing. This isn't just about me taking my mask off, or me walking unmasked, or me walking unveiled, or revealed. Not holding back, so to speak. Don't hold back. It's about us. We all. This is where we start to get this idea of the church, the body of Christ, walking in the full stature. Me in and of myself reaching my full potential, mm, me reaching my full potential in him is a whole other story. Us. It says, but we all with unveiled face. The King James alert says open face. Real, authentic. Beholding as in a, a mirror. The King James says, as in a glass. The glory of the Lord. Are you picturing this now? Are being transformed into the same image. Transformed. Going from one form to another form. Trans are being transformed into God, if the same image. We got to walk out this whole week and wake up with this on our breath. The same image? We're being transformed into the same image? We're not all being transformed into different images. It's one image. <laughs> what? What? Is this a reality to you? Is this a reality to us that there's going to be a day 
where this body is conformed unto his glorious body. And when he's coming down and teaching about the kingdom of God, and he's walking through walls, and as he's walking throughout the earth, and he's walking on water, you say, why? Because he spoke the stuff into existence, and he had authority over it. He has authority over everything. That's why we can step out of water and sink to the bottom. He steps on water and goes, He's walking on something that he created because he has the authority to do it. Because he can tell it what to do. He can speak to the waves, the storm, and he can say, be still, because he did it all. He created it. He created it, and he has authority over it. And my goodness, the ultimate victory is the victory over death. This death, sin in the grave. That is the root cause of fear. When you dive down deep into whatever fear or phobia it is, it ends up funneling all the way down to this thing called D-E-A-T-H. It funnels down to death. And he, as this victorious king, overcame and conquered the grave. And he lives. And because he lives, we're going to live. You know, and you come to this idea where he's talking about we do not mourn like the world. We don't mourn like the world <laughs> because we know he lives. You know, there was examples of martyrs laughing as they were being executed because they treated this world and this life as something minuscule compared to the glory that was to come. You know, Jesus... Jesus said, I endured the cross for the joy that was set before me. There's a lot of people in here and in our body that are dealing with pain right now and, and tragedy and trial. And I don't think it's a, I, I think there is a connection with what is going on physically with us and what is coming in the spirit. If you think about Moses coming down off Mount Sinai, what a glorious time. It literally says he met face to face with God. God called him. He said, you're my friend. And can you imagine Moses skipping down the mountain? <laughs> skipping down the mountain and coming down and seeing that disaster at the bottom? As one of the most glorious things in biblical history is happening. On the left hand, on the right hand, they're doing their thing. And what that tells me is when there's a move and a wave coming, there's something else that is pulling on it, that is chugging on it, that says, no, I don't want it to happen. It's a stumbling block. It's a wall. But it's a curtain. And you whoosh, open it up. And you think it's bigger than it is. And this mountain becomes a molehill. And the presence says, the mountains melt like wax in the presence of God. So these things that look massive in the presence of God end up being this little thing. And the enemy takes all that stuff and goes, no, it's bigger than you think it is. No, it's worse than you think it is. No, it's bad. It's worse. Blah, 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 blah. Come to the conclusion that the, at the end, we win. I, I, I think I tell myself that at the end, every day, at the end, in the end, we win. I don't know what's happening. You know, whatever happens in between all this stuff, whatever wars, whatever famines, whatever disasters, whatever tragedies, tragedies whatever, in the end, guess what? We cross the finish line. You want to come with us or not? You know, you want to be a part of the winning team or not? You want to be a part of the kingdom of light or darkness? And it's a decision. It's one way or the other. 
But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord being transformed in the same image. From glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I, we talked about this before, but the idea of glory, glory, literally means step, 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 step. It's the idea of ascension. It's the idea of stepping glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. In Exodus 38.8, it talks about this idea of the labor of brass, which was in the outer court. So you had the labor of brass in the outer court. And it talks about this idea of this labor of brass, which was filled with water. And the priests would go up and they'd dip their hands in it and they'd wash their feet. And then that was the cleansing that they would experience so that they went into the holy place, the most holy place. It literally says that they wouldn't die. So you suppose they wash their hands and feet every time? Well, yeah, Joe, you forgot to wash your hands, bro. I mean, but you're going to need to wash your hands. But what does it say? It says that the labor was made by what? The looking glasses of the women in the camp. So what they would do is because they didn't have mirrors back then, we walk into our bathrooms or walk in whatever, and there's this beautiful mirror, and we see ourselves exactly like it is. Well, they had, the, they had polished brass. The women that served at the temple and the women that had polished brass and they would polish it and they would polish it and they would polish it till they could see their image in the brass. And obviously it's not going to be like a perfect mirror. It's just going to be, you know, give some type of reflection. So the priest would go up and they'd wash in this. And I always think about this idea of that they would wash their hands and feet. Well, when they would go up to the labor, I, I, literally they're going to be looking over it. I mean, it's not like... They're looking into it, and I always thought the idea of, you know, they start washing their hands, and the image gets all distorted, and the idea of the hands of man being that natural and not supernatural, and how it can clutter, and how it can disfigure, and how it can, but he's the perfect mirror. He's the perfect glass. It's interesting because it says to look in his face. It says when you see him like he is, then you'll be like him looking into his face. Do you know where it says the glory of God exists? It says the glory of God exists in the face of Jesus. Literally. So you have this lesson going on, this physical lesson of, you know, this, this whole idea of the labor made of brass or looking glasses of women and being, and then you have these scriptures that talk about the washing of the water of the word. Getting into the word, letting the spirit of a God come on the inside of you and, and say, this is right, this is not right, this is something you need to change, this is something you need to move forward to. The washing of the water of the word, it's a reflection. So we, I'm looking into this reflect, I want to look into this water, I want to look into this reflection, I want to look into this perfect man, God, named Jesus. And I want to look at him and I want to keep looking at him and I want to keep looking at him because when I keep looking at him, something happens. Something transferable happens when you get the revelation of who Jesus is and you go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in, uh, to him, in him. Because the spirit of the Holy Spirit that filled him when John the Baptist baptized him is now in you. And the more that you look at him and the more that you are obedient to him and the more you die to the flesh and the more, the more, the more, the more, the more that you see that he's in you. And the more you see him, you realize you like him. <laughs> There is nothing in my flesh right now that is worth anything. But the Spirit of God or the treasure that's on the inside of me is pure gold. Do you understand? It says you have this treasure. You have this gold chest full of diamonds and sapphires and all this stuff in an earthen vessel. Why? 
So in the end, the excellency can be about him. You say, why do I feel fragile? Why do I feel so broken? Why do I feel, why do I, so he can come out of you. Because he works with broken vessels. He said, a broken and contrite spirit. He said, I'm not going to deny that. Give me somebody that's broken and I'll work with them. Give me somebody that's stiff necks and hard-hearted and tough and oh, I can do it on my own. That's a different story. But if I can get somebody that's broken, I can mold and conform them and change them. And what I will do, I'm going to make them just like me. Dying daily. God works through brokenness. So if you're broken in here today and there's situations that are breaking you, you might want to open up your eyes and look up <laughs> and say, what? We have a tendency to get stuck in the situation. We keep our eyes on the situation, and we're like, ah, trying to examine everything, trying to figure it out. And he's like, look up. Look up at me. The perfect, sinless, white lamb of God, pure. I got to walk through him. I got to have his blood. Isn't it unbelievable? I mean, the idea of when Solomon's temple was dedicated, it literally says there were so many animals slaughtered that they could not count them. All to cover sin, just for a season. All to do this. It didn't do this. It did that. It didn't take it away. Jesus took it away. It's a big deal. His blood that was in his body was the equal, higher than tens of thousands of animals. Truckloads, semi-truckloads of blood. And it took one man, one God-man, to shed his sinless blood. Born into this world, the sinless Lamb of God. We were all born into sin. And now we, by faith, take his blood. Because it says he went into the holiest of holies. In heaven, the tabernacle of Moses was just a shadow. The heavenly stuff is the real deal. He went into the real deal with his blood. It says once and for all. And he took away the sins of the world. Think about it. Murder and molestation and all this garbage he took it on himself and to the point where he said, God, Father, why have you forsaken me? So that we could come to the point where we do not have to say it. You want to talk about hell? Experience the Father forsaking you. Listen, there's certain levels of rejection that we've all experienced in our life. Maybe it was a bad breakup. Maybe it was a marriage that went awry. Maybe it was just somebody that was a friend. And that sense of rejection, I want you to think about the billions and billions and billions and billions of people that have walked the face of the earth, and he took it all on himself. Every single bit of it. And he took it to the cross, nailed it on the cross, and the good news is he rose again. He rose again. So he conquered the garbage. He conquered the sin. And he rose again. Conquered it all. Conquered sin and death. So that now, we, as the children of God, now we can walk in freedom and we can walk in liberty and we can walk this earth with the victory that he won. I've lost every competition that I tried to win on my own. If I can take his victory and his win, win, 
You won. I receive it. I receive his victory. It's interesting because in the tabernacle of Moses, everything in the tabernacle of Moses was, was transportable. So all this stuff, remember the glory cloud would move and everybody would be like, okay, there it goes. Everybody pack up your stuff, you know. You're talking about about three million people. And I've said this before, but this is the idea of this encampment was about from here to alliance. That's how big the encampment of the Israelites were. And you know where the, uh, you know, uh, you know where the tabernacle was? Right in the middle. They were all, the tribes were all camped all around the middle. And you suppose they wouldn't look at that tabernacle and just wonder and anticipate and think about it. And the priests would go in once a year into the holiest of holies and how they'd be chattering about it and they'd be talking about it. This is the day, this is the day, this is the day. But that was all portable. It was all small enough to get up and move. Well, in Solomon's temple, which happened later on, the, the labor of brass was seven and a half feet deep and it was 15 feet in diameter. So it was, a, it was a, basically a pool. They talk about the idea of the priests actually getting in over their heads. <laughs> and that's why they made it so big, which is interesting to me because glory excels. The glory excels. The glory keeps moving forward and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. The kingdom of God, it literally said, is that it has no end. It's just going to get bigger, and it's going to get bigger, and it's going to get bigger, and it's going to get bigger. The labor of brass. Some versions actually call it the sea of brass. It's interesting because Habakkuk is the one that says, the glory of the knowledge of the Lord is going to cover the earth like the sea covers the ocean floor. We're not there yet, but it's coming. So when I'm talking about this idea of Paul, talking about this thing was not done in a corner, it's not going to be in one corner of the earth. It's going, to, it's going to literally cover the whole earth. The knowledge of the glory of God is going to cover the whole earth. And how that happens, I don't know. I know we're going to be a part of it, but so is God. <laughs> hey, there's nothing to wake people up more than an earthquake underneath their feet. I can be, I'll do my own thing. Blah, 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 blah. Do you ever see situations of earthquakes actually happening? People are diving for cover. They're getting out of the way. They're get, they're, there's a panic going on. And there's something about when things happen outside of our control that we start to examine. Hey, hold on. I guess I'm not in control. And God's going to be doing some things where people are going to be like, oh, we're not in control. We thought we were in control. We thought we had this thing cornered. We thought we were okay. We thought we were blah, 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 blah. And they're going to come streaming into the church. Do you hear me? This is why it is important to have an unveiled face. Because we have the answer. It doesn't, I don't care what the crowd is, the message is going to be the same. It's going to be the same every time. Not going to cater to a certain party of people. The truth is the truth is the truth is the truth. That he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word talking about the church, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The musicians want to come up or out? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Moses at one point, 
This always reminds me of the idea when the disciples asked Jesus, they were like, teach us to pray. Because they, you know, they saw Jesus doing all this stuff. And after he would come out of prayer and off the mountaintop, he was walking on water. Blind people were seeing and dead people were being raised. And they're like, teach us how to pray. We want to learn how to do this. And it's always, it's always reminds me of that idea when Moses tells God, show me your glory. You know, he's like, show me your, I want to see it. And God's telling Moses, he's like, listen, I'm going to pass by you. You can't see my face because if you see my face, you're going to die. But he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass by you and I'm going to put my hand over you in the cleft of the rock. And you're going to be able to see my backside as I go by. So this big God comes past Moses and Moses, God takes his hand away and he looks and there goes God's back walking right away from him. Show me your glory. Do you know that Jehovah God, Father, couldn't show him his face, but there's someone that did. So what Moses was experiencing with the face of God, he could not handle, but we can. Because the glory is now in the face of Jesus Christ. We've moved from the testament of death to the testament of life. The glory that was fading and now the glory that excels. It's in the face of Jesus. And now Jesus isn't saying, no, you can't look at me. No, you can't look at me. No, you can't look at me. He's saying, look at me. Look into my face and see my eyes. Do you read the book of Revelation? And see what that looks like in the end? It says his eyes are like flames of fire. His feet are like furnished brass. He's just this glorious, unbelievable, magnificent, powerful being. No wonder he said, Do, don't make graven images of me. Because whatever image you put on a wall or whatever image you create is not going to represent me. Ha! Ha! He wants to reveal himself further and further and further and further until we are so overwhelmed with glory. Do you realize in the temple that Solomon dedicated, it said there were thousands and thousands of singers and they were making one, one voice. It said tens of thousands of animals were being slaughtered. And you know what it says in the end? It says in the end that the priests were so overwhelmed that they couldn't even minister anymore. My goodness. Aren't you looking forward to the day where God moves us out of the equation and just starts doing stuff in the house? Where we are so overwhelmed with him? That people can't deny what's happening? The manifestation of glory in you and in me. A light can't be hidden. You don't, put a, you don't put a mask, you don't put a shade on a light. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Until we come to the point. This is your God. We're not just talking about it. It's a physical manifestation of God in you. <clears throat> Disease can't stay. Do you hear me? 
Listen to me. Disease cannot stay in the place of glory. Glory supersedes dis-ease. Ailments, aches and pains, mental confusion, mental distress, anxiety, and depression has no place in glory. Is there sickness in heaven? Is there pain in heaven? Is there distress in heaven? Heaven, come to earth. Pray this prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever's going on in heaven, we say, come on down. Come on down. Come out. Come down. Come out. Come down. It's in his face to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light shined out of darkness and he's shown in our hearts. The priest couldn't minister. Y'all can stand. Philippians 3, and we're going to end with this in verse 20. It says this, For our citizenship is in heaven. Yay, hey, we may be down here right now, but our true citizenship is heaven. I came from heaven, did you? Listen, the devil didn't make me. I did not come from hell. I came from heaven. And Jesus spoke it. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. (laughs) He has the authority to do it. And we pray a release of your kingdom on earth and in this house, in this glory that keeps excelling in this house. And I know you experience it. And I know you know it's here. I was watching worship today and I just saw worship from back to top to left to right. Everybody was worshiping. Everybody was locked in. Everybody was involved with unveiled faces saying, this is our God. I'm not going to walk with a veiled face and stand like this. We serve a glorious, splendorous Savior who is worthy of praise and glory. He's worthy to be honored. He's worthy to be worshiped. And I will use my body to worship him. (laughs) Oh my God. Release your kingdom in the house. Release your kingdom in the house. Let dead things come to life. Let dead things come to life. Don't hold it back. I don't care what it looks like. Don't hold it back. Release it. Release it. Release it. Release it. Why not you? Why not here? Why not now? Why not? Is there somebody else that's going to do it? We are the children. We are the people of God. It is up to us, with his help, to release the kingdom in this earth. We just thank you right now. I just want to say, as we were all worshiping this morning, he said to me, now this is a Father's Day. (laughs) That is awesome. And we just pray right now, 
that the release of this word would be planted and not stolen. Don't let the devil steal this word. Don't let the devil steal it. Have it as a launching pad to something bigger for you, bigger in the kingdom. And we seal this word and we pray in Jesus' name if the prayer people want to come up. And maybe today the prayers are release what God has given you, your talents and gifts and all of these things. Let it be released in the kingdom, in this earth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.